Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF, with my co-anchor Karen Freeman Ignifolo for a special Trump organization's been convicted of all 17 counts midweek show. You heard it right, folks. I know that's why you joined. We finally have our first major conviction of a Trump and Trump-related entity. The only entity that matters to him is the Trump organization. Ever since he changed the name of it when his father uh, left it to him in his will, that has been the primary vehicle for the family Trump to do all of their business slash grifting um, from the very beginning. So for the Trump organization to now have a jury in a Manhattan uh, trial court, Manhattan Supreme Court, come back after less than one full day of deliberation and find that the Trump organization is guilty of all 17 counts of tax evasion and fraud that the prosecutors had put on. They didn't get off on one. There was not one hung count. All 17 counts have now been uh, reached by the jury and that's all guilty, guilty, guilty 17 times against the Trump organization. As I suggested in my hot take yesterday, the fact that the defense had even thought about moving for a mistrial during op- uh, closing arguments in response to the prosecutor putting up evidence that had already been produced in the case that demonstrated for the jury that, that even Donald Trump knew about the fraud, the payments under the table to his three key executives for years to allow them to pay for without any tax consequence to them, no tax liability for them, for apartments in Manhattan, for uh, uh, tuition for children and grandchildren, for car services. And as as people that live near uh, Manhattan know, those things all add up pretty quickly. This went on for years until 2017, after Trump already was in office, and they then decided to clean that mess up led by Ivanka and led by the children and ended up just giving those executives $200,000 more a year to cover all of these uh, all of these uh, benefits that they had been getting under the table. It was a benefit to the Trump organization. That's the fraud because they were able to take these things as, as improper tax deductions, meaning they lowered their payroll taxes and didn't have to pay taxes on that. And the recipient of these benefits under the table uh, Alan Weisselberg, Matt Cal- uh, Calamari, and the, C- and the controller, uh, they didn't declare it as income to themselves. So of course, who got screwed in this? You, me, and all the rest of the U.S. taxpayers. That's what the jury has found. And that fact that they changed their practices after Trump became president, I'm sure was one of the things that the jury focused on to say there was knowledge at the ownership level, the highest level of the fraud. Remember that the defense primarily focused on that this was just 
the, the defense for the Trump organization that this was just the rogue acts of three out of control executives that the senior ownership, that means the Trump family, had no idea, no idea that these payments were being made. I mean, I can't even get that out with a straight face. I don't know how the defense team did, but that was their defense, that Alan Weisselberg, who testified, who was, as I called him, the bride at the wedding and the body at the funeral, he testified that, yes, it was it was on him, but he also had to testify that people above him, meaning the Trump family, knew about these benefits being paid to him. And I'm sure Alan Weisselberg's testimony um, was very uh, important to the decision-making by the jury. Karen Friedman Ignifilo, formerly the number two prosecutor, the number two head of that office, the Manhattan DA's office that just got this tremendous victory. I want to bring you in now to talk about what your observations are about the trial that was put on, the prosecution decisions that were made, and now where do we go from here now that Alan Bragg, the head of that office, in, I guess anticipation that he was going to win this this trial just two days ago, hired a new giant supercharged prosecutor to join his team and Mr. Colangelo, who's going to focus, I am sure, on Donald Trump now. Let me hear your thoughts, Karen. What do you think about the uh, prosecution team? I'm sure you know them and the results and where do we go from yeah, here? Yeah, this is a sweeping, sweeping victory for the Manhattan DA's office. And I can't tell you how proud it makes me to see that the office that I grew up in and have loved all these years just made me proud again today that they could handle a case like this and bring it across the finish line. This was a case that was started by Cy Vance and... Uh, and Alvin Bragg, who's the prosecutor um, who took office in uh, last January, almost a year now, he uh, he have to give him a lot of credit. He put a, the he put superstars on this case. He put, uh, Susan Hoffinger, as well as Joshua Steinglass. Josh Steinglass is one of the uh, senior trial counsel in the um, in in the office, which is, I like to call them the thoroughbred racehorses of the office, are the senior trial counsel. They're, they're the best trial lawyers there are. And that is the highest honor in the office to be a senior trial counsel. And they put Josh Steinglass, who uh, also um, prosecuted in 2019, he he actually prosecuted a case against uh, the Proud Boys. Um, so he, he's been in this world and he knows how to do this. And he brought this across the finish line. He did the summation in this case. And it's just really happy to see that uh, the jury got it. And, you know, even though this was a tough case in the sense that one of their star witnesses, Jeffrey McConney, had to be declared a hostile witness, and Alan Weisselberg, who was a cooperator and refused to implicate Trump, that didn't stop these amazing prosecutors at the Manhattan DA's office. They were still able to, at the highest level, bring this across the finish line. And it, I just really am so proud and so delighted to see that Alvin Bragg is carrying on the tradition of excellence at the Manhattan DA's office. I think this case is significant for many, many reasons. I think um, that somebody had to, you know, it, they have to see there's so much crime and corruption going on by the Trumps and you see it everywhere. There's so many, whether it's federal or state and here this in this particular case. This is a 13-year scheme of corruption and, and fraud. There was a con widespread conspiracy in this, in this business, this family business, 
to commit tax fraud and falsify business records. And this is a criminal conviction. This isn't civil. This is a criminal conviction. And this is the first ever criminal conviction of anything remotely close to uh, former President Donald Trump. So this is huge. And as far as I'm concerned, this is step one in what's going to start happening. As, as you said yesterday uh, or, or recently, there was an announcement this week of um, Matthew Colangelo, who's a heavy hitter. And he has come on and he has been brought on by Alvin Bragg to uh, to look into what's been reported as the Stormy Daniels hush payment um, scheme. I think that's a falsifying business records scheme. And that's I, I have no inside information in, into that, but that's what's been widely reported. And I don't think he would have brought someone in like that. Again, I don't think someone like that who has the has the experience and background that he has. He's he's worked for the Obama administration. He's worked for the Department of Justice. He's worked for the attorney general. He's actually worked for the attorney general in investigating the Trumps and investigating uh, these matters. I don't think he'd come over and work for Alvin Bragg. First of all, I don't think he has much criminal experience. He's, he's more of a civil attorney, um, but I don't think he would come over and do this if there wasn't something to do and there wasn't something he was willing to do. So to me- So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question because you've been understandably very jaundiced and skeptical about Alvin Bragg up until this moment about his decision to only go against the Trump organization, um, have Alan Weisselberg flip and testify in that way. And I know in prior podcasts, for instance, I know you were like, well, this is fine, but this is not the case that I wanted to have to have been brought. Now that he's gotten, now that Alvin Bragg has gotten this 17 count uh, conviction under his belt and in tandem brought in Colangelo. Does that change your mind about where you think Alvin Bragg is going and whether there will be a, a future prosecution, which is what our listeners and followers want to hear, of Donald Trump and the children themselves? Yeah. I mean, look, I was very disappointed that the investigation started under Cy Vance. The other investigation uh, started under Cy Vance that potentially would have indicted uh, the former president and his children for the misvaluation of his assets. You know, he either overinflated or underinflated um, his properties. The the exact allegations that um, Attorney General, the New York Attorney General Tish James, filed a civil complaint against recently. So that was up. There was also a criminal investigation there that was being investigated under uh, former DA Cy Vance with two other very senior, excellent uh, attorneys, um, Carrie Dunn and um, his name's escaping, Mark, uh, Mark Pomerantz. Uh, they were both working on it and it was widely reported that they were ready to go into the grand jury. And then they quit very publicly when it was reported that Alvin Bragg was not going to bring the case. And yeah, I was disappointed. I was very disappointed because look, Alvin Bragg was new. I didn't know him as well. And, and I do know those prosecutors in Cy Vance and they're excellent. And so I was disappointed. But, um, you know, look, Alvin Bragg has, I think, had like like Cy Vance did, like we did, had a little bit of a, um, a not I wouldn't say rough beginning, but, you know, it's new and you're and and you're sort yeah. of finding your sea legs. But let me tell you, he has found his sea legs. This is incredible. On that note, on that note, Karen, I don't want to cut you off. I'm going to come right back to you. But we got Michael Cohen, former lawyer for Donald Trump, is going to join us right now. He's got a hard out. So I want to bring him in and then come back to you for further analysis. Michael. How are you? Good to see you. 
Yeah, good to see you here on Legal AF. I let's, certainly let's wasn't turn... expecting to be on. Uh, None of us <laughs> were. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my in my den watching the news, and all of a sudden, I'm yeah. you know, obviously dressed like yourself, very casual. But but and that's a famous and... corner in your house. That's now a famous corner in your house. We like that corner. Yes, but let's get you. to it. I know you got a hard out. Tell us about what your thoughts, what, what's going through your mind watching your former boss and client get, and his company, at least the company, get convicted of 17 tax, uh, counts of tax evasion. Well, let me, let me be very clear. Something that I have said from day number one, uh, and even before that, when I had testified before the House Oversight Committee, and I had stated that Donald Trump inflates and deflates the values of his assets, whether it's for his personal reasons or for tax purpose. And then um, all of the other stuff came out from the additional 12, 13 uh, meetings that I had had with both the district attorney's office as well as the attorney general's office. Good for the jury. It was a very quick and it was a deliberate determination convicting Trump organization of all counts. The part that bothers me, and I think I hear it, echoed by other individuals, is the fact that Donald Trump, right, the eponymous name on the company, once again seems to be escaping culpability and liability. And I want to be very clear, and I've said this to the DA, and I've said it to the AG, and I've said it to members of Congress, and I've said it on television and in the press. There is nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, that goes on at the Trump organization that is not directly approved, and I'm not talking indirect, I'm talking about directly approved by Donald J. Trump. So the fact that Alan Weisselberg, who had lied to the Southern District of New York when it was about the hush money payments going towards my, um, you know, my case, has done it once again, except this time fell on the sword for Donald, despite the fact it could have meant for him a 15-year or up to 15-year prison sentence as opposed to the 100 days that he has now pled guilty to and it appears prosecutors have agreed to uh, at Rikers Island. Yeah, Michael, let me ask you a quick question also, because I know you're very, if our, if, our, if our fans don't overlap with your show, I'm sure everybody knows who you are and, and, and what your testimony has been and how, how important it's been to the New York Attorney General's office and by extension, the Manhattan DA's office. On this, uh, and we'll Can get I stop the you there? Can I stop you there sure. for one second? Sure. Let me be of very course. clear about this too. Cy Vance sent Carrie Dunn and a whole slew of Manhattan district attorneys to Otisville when I was there, uh, actually on three separate occasions. Much of this was started originally through the district attorney's office, uh, then ultimately picked up by Tish James, who, like I always call her, she's the unsinkable Tish James, like the unsinkable Molly Brown. Uh, she's really got this from a civil um, perspective. Now we just need Alvin Bragg to handle this in a criminal matter. He's done that against the Trump organization. But then again, that culpability means nothing. 1.6 million. They charged me more in penalties and interest than that. And I never even tax evaded. 
Let's so, talk about yeah. yeah I want I want to pick that up and push it forward because Karen and I were talking about this before you joined or even before we started the show. There are implications and impacts from a business standpoint for the Trump organization, which is the only vehicle Trump has ever used, putting aside that he tried to form a Trump organization too in Delaware a month ago. He's been running everything through this company that he inherited from his father for a long, long time. Now he's got a criminal conviction, meaning his relationship with banks and lenders and auditors and other people that are stakeholders with him just got incredibly difficult. I assume there are covenants within loan agreements, personal guarantees and others that in the event of a bankruptcy or criminal conviction of the organization, there are really bad impacts about that. Can you can you speak to that at all? Sure. So let me begin by saying he recently received, I think it was a $300 million loan despite the fact that both the attorney general's case had been started and the district attorney's case <laughs> had been started by Axos Bank. All right. So, you know, is this going to stop banks from working with him? Are there bad boy clauses? Absolutely. It's Tish James that's going to ultimately cause the death spiral of the Trump organization with the penalties and the and the fines that are going to exceed. Obviously, this one point six million dollar uh, determination, probably more to the tune of 700 million. And that will be the ultimate kiss of death for the Trump org. But I do want to remind all of the listeners and the followers that something else that's going on here. A lot of the money that Donald is getting now is coming from where? From Thanks. Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> I mean, he's now allegedly doing some sort of a golf deal for a billion dollars. On top of that, he made an announcement that he's going to be building like 2,000 homes uh, on the Doral golf course. Really, how's he, going to, how's he going to finance that? He doesn't have cash on hand, and whatever cash on hand he has is sitting in that super PAC, which there's no way that he's going to spend because 90% of it is his money, and he's using that as a slush fund in the event that everything else uh falls apart. Um, how about Michael? How about the how about the North Korea bank loan that's now been reported while he was a candidate that never ended up on the books that and attracts back directly to the North Koreans for billions of dollars? Yeah, well, I'm not sure that it was North Korea. Uh, I thought I saw somewhere that it was Daewoo and Daewoo, I believe, is a South Korean uh, company. I've seen and North. Is, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> well, I've seen I North. Believe, I've seen North reported. Yeah, I've seen that also. But I've been yeah, to yeah. Um, Korea. To South Korea. And I can tell you that I've been to the uh, buildings that are um, licensed by Daewoo um, from the Trump organization. And that goes back many, many, many years. I don't know uh, if there's any still interest there. I don't know about North Korea and the bank uh, other than to say, if in fact that it's true, I mean, seriously, and then he's even a possibility as a presidential candidate for the GOP. I mean, how stupid as a country are we really going to allow ourselves <laughs> to be looked at by the rest of the world? I mean, are you really going to take money from Kim Jong-un and from uh, Mohammed bin Salman? What's next? Vladimir Putin, Erdogan, you know, Duarte? Who else? Who else is this guy going to take money? It's like, look... It's very similar to the 70s and so on when he was working with the mob. You don't want to borrow money from the mob because the VIG will put you out of business. In this specific case, you don't want to take money from these autocrats, mono, you know, monarchs, dictators, authoritarians, 
because the you know the ultimate obligation is not just too big for him. We don't care about him, but how about to the country? This is bad stuff. Yeah, the the uh, Michael on that point. So the Dawu is right. Forbes reports that Dawu is uh, at South Korea is links back to entities in North Korea. So the two point nine million dollars that he took and did not disclose. And just as you predicted here, it was Tish James's investigation that revealed the extent of that loan. So now you have a 17 count conviction against the Trump organization. You've got a newly energized Alvin Bragg, a very muscular Alvin Bragg, who's dusted himself off from his beginning last January. From your, brought mouth, on, from your mouth to God's ears. Brought, <laughs> brought on Colangelo, not to, yes, Colangelo's got a background and experience in some other areas that seem to be of interest to Alvin, but the big announcement is really about Colangelo's links to having successfully gone after Donald Trump and knowing where all the bodies are buried. I don't know, did you ever run into Colangelo in any of your dealings, Michael? I, I have not, but um, right. oh, not that I recall. Um, but listen, um, I'm available, I'm around. Um, I want people to understand, despite all of my cooperation, it's like 600 plus hours between seven different committees in Congress, the attorney general, the district attorney and others. Um, I have asked for and I have received absolutely nothing, despite what Donald and members of the GOP want to say. But I will continue to provide them with information um, as it relates to you know, this case and others. My hope is that you are right, my friend, that, you know, uh, Alvin Bragg has now maybe injected himself with some steroids and he's feeling very strong and he's going to go lift that 300-pound, you know, orange-crusted Mandarin Mussolini, right? He's going to bench press him and throw him. Wouldn't that just be something special for all of us to see? I don't think anybody that knows you and your and what you've done and testified about and cooperated about thinks that there's justice that you serve time in prison and that Trump and the others around him, the closest levels, haven't yet. But we're getting closer. As I like to tell people, year one of the Biden administration was about the investigations. And year two looks like it's going to be about the prosecutions and maybe convictions. Justice takes time, as you know, Michael, yeah. how many how many years well, you spent look, in that you, justice you system. May, that's that's 100% correct. But I wasn't given the opportunity, for example, like what Weisselberg or others, I talk about it in my book, Revenge, which I actually believe is probably the most on point book that talks about what happens when you have a corrupt president with a willing and complicit attorney general, meaning Bill Barr, weaponizing the Justice Department to go against his critics. And I raise this point really for the sole purpose of drilling into the listeners' minds every single day that this is exactly what Donald Trump is saying right now about the Biden administration, that the Biden administration has weaponized the Justice Department to go after him. So he will now cry victim. This is another witch hunt that they started going back six years ago, you know, seven years ago in 2015 when he made his announcement and so on. This is a man who does not know how to accept culpability, responsibility. It is really, you know, it's amazing, and I wish the, uh, the Democratic Party, and I constantly ask Jamie Harrison to please do this, get on the phone with the guys like from Midas Touch, from Lincoln Project, from myself, the Jen Taubes, the David Hoggs, and let us help you to craft a message that will ultimately fight 
the GOP's messaging, you know, on an even basis. But they don't allow that to happen. And they have so much more um, out there than the Democratic Party does, which drowns out the message. I'll just give you a quick example. So I started a TikTok account. And I put up these Michael Cohen reacts. A lot of times on the Midas channel, they throw them up also. But every time I put anything up on TikTok, what ends up happening? There's a bot farm and it's all run by the GOP. And they report it as being harassing or violative of the community guidelines. And then it goes into a state of suspended animation where it's on it's on hold. Ultimately, I appeal it and then it comes back on. But by the time it comes back on, it's lost its energy. It lost its mojo. And that's why I'm saying to everybody that's watching right now, everyone that's a fan of, you know, of Midas uh, and for all of these groups, the most important thing is you have to be vocal. We cannot sit back and allow the GOP to keep kicking themselves in their own asses. We need to be the one doing the kicking. And again, from your mouth to God's ears, you know, Alvin Bragg has the opportunity to redeem himself. You know, it's so important. My hope is that he does it. My hope is that I do get a phone call from Mr. Colangelo and that they ask me to come in and to speak to them and to walk them through still so much. But rest assured, Matt Colangelo does not know where all the bodies are buried because there are no dead bodies. There's just a lot of information, financial fraud, um, you know, and sort of underhanded schemes done by Donald by and through people like Alan Weisselberg or Jeff McConney. You know, on one final note, one of the things that I always say, and I want people to understand the hierarchy and how it goes at the Trump org as it relates to the banking world or to the financial world, Donald Trump would be considered the president of the bank. And Alan Weisselberg would be considered the branch manager with Jeff McConney as the teller. So in anyone's bank that's out there, could you imagine the teller is going to do things without telling the president or without the authorization of the president of the bank? Or the same holds true for the branch manager. He is literally 50 feet away from Donald's desk, from the office, and there's an open door policy, especially for executives like Alan or like myself. You walk in and you get Donald to sign off on it. Alan Weisselberg fell on the sword. Sadly, the district attorney and the prosecutors did not hold him to full task because had they done that and had he really for one split second thought that he could be doing more than these 100 days in Rikers Island, which is a fucking tiny pittance of what he should be getting. I got three years for another guy getting his pecker pulled by a porn star and shoved down my throat charges of tax evasion or misrepresentation to a bank. All right. This guy should be looking at certainly more than 100 days. They had the opportunity to really press him. They didn't do it. So, again, from your mouth, my friend, to God's ears, that Alvin Bragg has finally developed some muscles and that he's really ready to you know, enter the, the fight and to enter the Mike, ring. Michael, can ask for a better uh, a series of observations than by you. I love the bank teller and the bank president analogy. I always thought of Trump as 
Mr. Potter, now that we're getting into Christmas season and it's a wonderful life and Weisselberg is the guy that pushed the wheelchair around. But yes, uh, <laughs> I agree with you. And and look, they're, they're still going to have another pass it. Alan Weisselberg isn't going to be left alone now, not if Colangelo and Bragg have their way. And if they bring more tax evasion or loan fraud or insurance fraud claims and lay it at the feet of Alan Weisselberg, he's going to have to cooperate again or they're going to prosecute him again. And they've seen how successful Alan Weisselberg can be in front of a jury, even against his will. They didn't have to go quite hostile with him because they, you know, like you said, they were giving him a sweetheart's deal to go to Rikers Island. But they'll trot him out again in front of a new jury and try it all over again. And hopefully the defendants this time on the other side of the V are the Trump family led by Donald Trump and not just the organization. Michael, thanks for joining. Revenge, the book is available. We'll put it back up as a link for our listeners and followers. And uh, anytime you want to come on the show, Mike, just let us know. Appreciate it. Please tell all your listeners to follow me on TikTok, too. They're really funny. We, we will. We, and I will. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. Bye-bye. Take Be care. Well. You too. You too. Thanks, Michael. Michael Cohen. Can't ask for a better follow-up to legal analysis than a lawyer, former consigliere for Trump himself, with him and did all the things, all the dirty work that Trump wanted him to do until his, he had had enough and served his time, came out, and has completely rehabilitated himself as a fellow podcaster with us, a successful award-winning uh, author, and, and has a lot of current information that Matt Colangelo may want. That was an invitation, right, Karen? Absolutely. You heard it here, literally heard it here first on, on our legal AF. Matt Colangelo, pick up the phone and call Michael Cohen, have lunch with him. It may be a very, very helpful and short circuit a lot of the things that you'll be investigating. Let's get back to you, Karen, because I, I had to get Mike on and off in a, a kind of a little bit of a timetable. He's, he's much in demand right now, as you can imagine, but I didn't want to cut you off. Go, let's go back to, let me frame it and then turn it back to you. Alvin Bragg, for sure, took a lot of healthy criticism on this show and other places, and you in particular, about how he was handling the prosecution, his decision on Alan Weisselberg, and um, to just go after the Trump organization. But now, that having played out so successfully with that superstar team of people, including Mr. Steinglass, who did the closing that you talked about, knowing that they still have Alan Weisselberg for as long as they need him for all of these other fraudulent issues, whether it's insurance fraud, which has now come up in the reporting that has not been prosecuted yet. They have ways to squeeze Alan Weisselberg's little little uh, round ones even further to get him to testify. And they now have, you know, what what's better than a 17 count conviction to buoy your spirits and make you feel great about yourself as a prosecutor? Don't they now? try to go after all the things that Pomerantz and the other special prosecutor uh, were, were focused on again? Or do they focus now on a smaller case, but one that they can prove against Donald Trump and his children? What do you think, Karen? So as you like to always say about the Department of Justice uh, and, and Ben, you know, these things take time, right? And these investigations are methodical and you go through uh, you put you pull all the strings and you see where they lead, and you know the, the, whether people like it or not, these are not political. And so there have been several investigations into the Trump organization uh, at the Manhattan DA's office, both under Cy Vance and now under Alvin Bragg. If you recall, in the past there was the Stormy Daniels hush money payment that Michael Cohen was just talking about. There's a separate investigation into the asset valuation of all of the various properties and, and things because Trump likes to 
overinflate uh, the value of his assets when it suits him, like to get loans and things, and then underinflate or devalue, I should say, his assets in order to pay lower taxes. And that's another, that, that was the second investigation that um, we know of. We also know about his tax returns that the Manhattan DA's office under Cy Vance, they went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States and won and was able to uh, secure his tax returns. So there's that investigation. And then there's the one that we just got the uh, jury just convicted the Trump organization today in the 17 count uh, case against the Trump organization and Trump payroll. Um, you know, there's also the several Department of Justice uh, cases that are happening, the Mar-a-Lago documents, the Jan 6, the election interference. And then we also know about the Fonnie Willis in Georgia and that investigation. I mean, there's lots and lots of criminal investigations. There's also civil investigations uh, that are happening or civil cases, I should say, um, most famously the Tish James, who's the New York Attorney General. What's significant and, and really momentous uh, is, today is this is the first ever criminal conviction of anyone in uh, the Trump or um, the Trump orbit, really. And and this is the Trump organization. This is his family business. So this is significant. And I do think that it is very clear that with the appointment of Jack Smith as special counsel, you know, that to me was the biggest signal that that the the noose is tightening around the Trumps because Jack Smith is is an extraordinary prosecutor. And he, I don't believe he would come and do this case if he if there wasn't at least a possibility of prosecution. He's also proving to be moving very quickly and to be very on the ball, taking witness testimony and making decisions, even though he's. Uh, he's still out of the country due to an injury, but that hasn't stopped him at all. So you can tell that that case is moving along and moving along quickly. And same with the Fonnie Willis investigation. And here we are with Alvin Bragg. It's so clear that Alvin Bragg, by hiring and bringing on uh, Matthew Colangelo to work on what's been reported as the Stormy Daniels hush money uh, case, that that case is also starting to pick up and pick up steam. The, the case about the, the asset evaluation, let's see if that if that goes. Um, Alvin Bragg has said, you know, the DA, he's uh, Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg has said over and over again that that case is, um, is still pending. And so I, I think we take him at his word. You know, look, I think there's also there's a, there's also, Karen, the Hartford insurance um, potential fraud, which oh, is where right. I think they also right. try to get Weisselberg that right. that Weisselberg was the mouthpiece to tell Hartford that certain of the appraisals were done independently on real property that were being insured when they were not being done independently. They weren't being done at all. It would be waking up Donald Trump in the morning and saying, hey, boss, what do you think that piece of property is worth? And him coming up with a number. That's not really the independent appraisal method that insurance companies like like to use. Um, Karen, let me, let's jump in and let um, a few, we've got some more time here. Uh, and we've got a lot of people watching, which is, which is uh, just shows the amount of energy and the amount of interest that our listeners and followers have to see justice done here. Let's take a few of the questions. Some of them we've, we've been able through your um, analysis answer. Bridget asked some questions about what's Alvin Bragg going to do next about Trump and his children um, and related to other ones. And Kev and Kenneth asked the same thing. 
Uh, one person, Tess Lake, asked, how much is Trump going to pay in the tax fraud? The number here is relatively low. I mean, the the penalty, I think, has been reported as about $1.6 million, $1.7 million in this current case. This case wasn't really about the money. Most cases are. This case is about getting a criminal tax conviction of the family organization, the family office that Trump runs with his children. And it's not just a conviction. Of, it's a fe- it's these are felonies. A felony. Yeah. Right. 17 tax felon. You're right. We shouldn't you know, we should sing it from the rooftops. Felony convictions yeah. of a company. Good luck finding an auditor. Good luck finding a CPA. Good luck, even though Michael thinks there's banks out there, including ones that are linked to Putin, that may still be willing to lend him money. It looks like Donald Trump's going to have to go to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, um, uh, Dubai to go find cash, because I don't think an American bank with an American or global bank based in America where the board of directors is going to be able to lend Trump organization money um, just based on this recent conviction. Um, On the um, let's take this next question. Um, let's see. Let's talk about the appeal process. How long do you think, Cynthia uh, Swingle asked, how long do you think the appeal process is going to take um, now that the conviction has come in? There's still some post-trial work that has to be done. There's going to be post-trial motions. Susan Necklace, the defense counsel for Trump, is going to make a motion to overturn the verdict, I'm sure, right? Um, and things that only the judge can do. So we've got another week or two of of, of hand-to-hand combat in front of Judge uh, the judge in this case, be- Mershon, before we even get to the clock starting for the filing of a notice of appeal up to the first department. But talk about the appellate process and how long you think it'll stretch out from December of 2022 forward. So the sentencing is scheduled for January 13, 2023. So the first thing that has to happen is you have to be sentenced before you can appeal. And then I think that they will appeal fairly quickly. The appellate process can take a year or two. But, you know, look, this is Donald Trump. And so you never know. He gets to the Supreme Court, you know, in in such fast time. There are other people who take a decade or more to get to get to where he has gotten. So I think this will be fast tracked, the appeal. But I think what's going to happen is during the pendency of that, I think there are going to be other he's going to have a lot of other cases come in after him. I I really see that happening fairly quickly. And I, I think that it's important to remember that getting conviction criminal convictions at the state level is just as important as at the federal level although the department of justice is moving quickly and looks like i think will uh, indict at least some people in the trump trump orb at some point i think that the fonny willis case and the alvin bragg case i think cases that are that are pending uh and that i think are are moving forward i think are really important because as we all know if trump or another Republican becomes president, he can he can always um, he can always grant you know clemency and you know that and and kind of wash away these convictions. But he can't do that on the state level. So I, I do think these state convictions are are important because uh, only the governor. On the uh, yeah yeah. Let me. Uh, sorry, did, uh, no, you were going to say the governor on. Um, the the uh, people are asking about sentencing. We talk about it as sentencing, but the Trump organization is not just like any corporation is not going to jail because it's an entity. 
But the sentencing you're talking about will relate to the monetary fines and penalties is that, and yes. the other conditions related to the conviction. Absolutely. What else can the judge do in a criminal conviction of a corporation? Because they can't send it to jail. So besides the fine and the penalty, are there other things that the judge, as a, as a condition of sentencing, can do to an organization, i.e., the people that are running the company cannot uh, be um, officers and directors of other New York um, corporations for a period of time. They, they'd be barred or banned from that. What can it do in the sentencing phase to really throw the book at the organization and make it stick? Well, that's, an, that's a very interesting question uh, that, frankly, I'd like to do some more research into because He's not just convicted of tax crimes, this organization. It's all these. It's not just the Trump organization. It's also the Trump Payroll Corporation. So two corporations have been convicted of multiple felonies. And in addition to the fines that uh, are permissible, he, they were also convicted of scheme to defraud, conspiracy, and the criminal tax frauds, and falsifying business records. So each one of these charges will carry what is permissible sentencing. And I would have to do some research to look and see what it what that is. But I can imagine in, in like, for example, the scheme to defraud or falsifying business records, that that has to do with lying, that has to do with fraud, that has to do with just dishonesty. And so be, if they are going to continue to do business in New York, I can imagine a scenario where a, the judge would put limitations or guardrails around that, perhaps put in some kind of a, whether it's a monitor or some kind of um, something to ensure that they can't, that, you know, they're just not to be trusted. So I, I don't have a, an answer to that right now. I do want to do some research into that, but I can imagine because these are uh, crimes of, of, of fraud that to be a corporation in New York, there's going to be all sorts of of things that happen to if they want to continue to be in New York. But I don't think they're going to continue to be in New York. I mean, Tish James is is you know already kind of going after the the corporation in a big way, and he's already tried to start Trump Org too or whatever he was calling it that you know just to try to well, make something new. Yeah. Hi, I'm Harry Lichtman, host of Talking Feds a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the NRA, you know, to get out from under Tish James, they tried to incorporate in Texas and get out from being a New York corporation. Of course, that didn't go well in their bankruptcy court filings, but that's the, that's the kind of things they do. So, Karen, good homework. We have midweek tomorrow, midweek edition of Legal AF. Yeah, I better, find out, what, I better find out what can be done. <laughs> but, but to answer some other questions that are being asked, Mitch Schnapps, uh, Schnapps asks, how can an organization be found guilty and not those that are in charge of the organization? It's always a very good question, but organizations get prosecuted all the time and it becomes a prosecutor's discretionary call as to whether there are apex people, the executives at the very top, that also have criminal liability for which they can prove a case. And in this case, and this is, I think, where Karen was very, uh, was very uh, uh, not in agreement with Alvin Bragg about not bringing 
uh, the tr uh, claims against the Trump organization. The um, that was a call that was made. That was a discretionary call that was made at prosecutorial discretion not to do that. However, I think what we're trying to say during this uh, analysis on the fly today is that having now seen the results, they don't have to guess anymore. This this trial and the convictions took a lot of guesswork out of some of the future prosecutions. I know who's slapping high five in their offices right now is Fawny Willis in Fulton County because she's a state prosecutor that's got a, and you know that's a win it's that's a win that reverberates throughout the uh, the the justice system throughout the country. She's got to be thinking great. She's probably thinking I got more evidence against Donald Trump than they do in in terms of election interference and the phone call. So she's feeling good that a jury back to applauding both the prosecutors, as you did, the A-team of prosecutors, and the jury. Let's not, I, mean, I don't know much about them. I know, I think it's a little bit more female than male. But other than that, we don't know much about them. We will in the coming days and hours. But the um, they did a tremendous job here of sifting through several weeks of evidence. You know, there weren't a lot of witnesses. There were only two for the prosecution. Or, or actually three, uh, and very few on the other side for the defense. But there were tens of thousands of pages of documents. And as you and I once joked, um, you know, they got the case late yesterday. They did about four hours of deliberation and went home on time. Today they came in, checked in with the bailiff, got to their room, ordered lunch, deliberated for a little bit in the morning, deliberated for an hour or two after lunch, and that was it. We're done. 17 counts are in, you know, conviction. Um, so that jury um, should be applauded. It is the reason why our system of government and our system of justice is really the shining star uh, in the world is because we let juries handle complicated financial crime cases, and, and by and large, they get it right. They know who's lying. They know who's telling the truth. They know who the criminals are, and they know how to pull the switch for conviction when they see that evidence. And that is a compliment to our jury system and this well, particular jury in particular. One thing that I think will be interesting is that uh, when the prosecutors made the judgment call not to charge the principals and, and Trump and others, uh, the interesting thing is at trial, it was the summations focused on Trump's culpability. And that's because that's how the evidence came in. So they developed evidence through the trial, through the sworn testimony under oath of Alan Weisselberg and, um, and the other guy, Makani. And so even the hostile witness. So it'll be interesting to see when they do an assessment now, because that summation was very much that Trump was responsible. And It'll be very interesting to see if now they f try to hold Trump and others guilty or accountable, I should say, for um, for the conduct here. Because at the time that this was charged, and Al Alan Weisselberg was charged, and you know this case was brought early on, they clearly didn't have enough to charge Trump. But a lot was developed throughout the course of the case. And like I said, there were witnesses who testified under oath and the, and the jury found them credible. And so it'll be interesting to see how the DA's office looks at that and looks at the, all of the evidence here and whether or not they decide to, to now go forward and perhaps charge those who are in charge of the organization, namely Donald Trump. So, so I say let's, let's just keep watching 
watching and seeing what they're doing. But this is a huge, huge victory for the Manhattan DA's office. And again, this is the first conviction of the Trump organization or anyone with the last name with the last name Trump here. So this is just a really phenomenal, phenomenal experience. I've got some great news. I got some great news for you, Karen. We're going to be joined in a minute or two with our co-co-anchor and founder of Midas Touch and Legal AF with me, Ben Masalis. He's just getting set up and he's going to come in here. Look at this. We threw this together literally in about 18 minutes. Um, we were all waiting. I made a prediction this morning that this verdict was coming in today. I just, you know, when you do this long enough, I'm sure you felt the same way. You're like, it's going to be, it's a today thing. It's not a tomorrow thing. And it wasn't a yesterday thing. Well, you know, I, was, had to walk, I had to walk by court today because I had to go, <laughs> I had to go to the clerk and get something. So I was walking by yeah. and I noticed there was only one news truck out front. And I thought that's, so they, I, I thought there's, that alone made me think there's not going to be a verdict today because normally they kind of uh, know. And so there's, usually many many you know why i thought you know why i thought when they made their motion for mistrial off of josh steinglass's pushing of trump had to know trump had to know in his closing and stop the closing over it i the only time i've ever seen somebody in a case make a motion for mistrial is when they think they're losing the case because if you think you're doing pretty good with the jury and your read and you think they're buying what you're selling and you're getting a lot of head nods in your favor when you're putting on your case you're like you know we'll roll the dice this is probably the best case i'm going to be able to put on but they were so ready to pull the plug on the case and try over and do over and get a do over of course the judge was having none of that i thought this jury's not this jury's going to move quickly through this evidence and if it wasn't for lunch breaks and having to go home, they probably would have got it done in day in day one. Um, so look, you know, so we threw it together quick, but look, Michael, Co- how many how many shows on television? None. We're able to scramble, put together a show like this with hard hitting analysis, bring in Michael Cohen, the former consigliere and right hand of Michael Trump from uh, for, for Donald Trump from a uh, legal standpoint, who served time because of his testimony, who's in the entire New York AG case is based on Michael Cohen's testimony. And we had him on the show. And then who doesn't love Ben? <laughs> We're going to get Ben to join you. And as soon as Ben's here, you know, I'll, I'll probably take my leave. But let's see if we can answer another question um, while we uh, while we still have time here. Um, how about um, we talked about sentencing? What is Trump's next move? I think, Karen, you've outlined the next move here in terms of legally is already laid out for him. Post-trial motions, sentencing, appeal. There's two levels of appeal in New York. The good news is we won't see the U.S. Supreme Court involved because this is not a federal case and you can't, there's only rare circumstances where you can jump, jump the tracks and go over to the federal side and ask for a Supreme Court review. So it's going to be handled by New York First Department, which is the appellate division that's responsible for Manhattan, um, of which I'm a member. I'm sure you're, you're a member of the First Department. I am. All right. First Department member, fellow member. And then when that goes against him, which it will, it will then go to the Court of Appeals for the state of New York. And then that is final and conclusive. Game over. Trump organization finally convicted. In the meantime, who really cares what Trump does on Truth Social and other places? The parallel world that he lives in where, you know, everybody's out to get him. He hasn't never done anything wrong. Everything's the most best and perfect. You know, there's, as Ben once said, I think with you, there's a huge gap between what you can get away with on morning television, especially Fox News, and what plays in a courtroom. 
And, you know, the sooner the prosecutors get their acts together and get into courtrooms against Donald Trump, the better, because only good things will happen. In the meantime, he can spin it any way he wants, you know, but his corporation, his baby, his lifeblood just got hit with 17 felony counts of tax evasion and fraud what in was the state also, of New York, period. What was also um, interesting about this case, and I think what's going to have reverberations for him throughout is this wasn't just a one time you know, he falsified one thing. This was a, a scheme that went on for 13 years. This is 13 years of fraud after fraud after fraud after fraud. And that's that, again, is just a sweeping indictment of the former president and how he does business, that he is basically a fraud. I mean, for 13 years, he was he was doing all of the things uh, that were that we've been talking about, you know, whether it's um, giving apartments, you know, and not having, instead of paying someone a salary or, or a, a, the full benefit of their salary, they pay them a certain amount. And Alan Weisselberg, and what he does is, you know, paid for private school, paid for Mercedes, paid for apartments, and, and then didn't declare that on anything. So, you know, it wasn't just Alan Weisselberg who wasn't paying his taxes. What the jury found here was that this was for the benefit of the Trump organization because the Trump organization didn't have to pay payroll taxes. They benefited too. And that's exactly what Michael Cohen was describing that the Trump organization does. His entire, the, the entire kind of business model of the Trump organization is to fudge numbers so that it, in a way that it helps them, whether it's making something to be more valuable or less valuable or to not pay taxes or to give perks instead of salary and then devalue and then not pay payroll taxes on it. This is just part and parcel of how they do business. And this was, like I said, a 13 year fraud. So I think we're going to see a lot more coming when uh, as as now that we have a jury that that has found this corporation guilty and they've gotten all the information and documents and this testimony under oath, I think there's more to come. Do you I know, you know, Susan Necklace, the defense counsel, for um, how about uh, Fuertes, the other uh, lawyer? Do you know that? Do you know both in, both on the team? Um, do you know Alan? Alan Futterfoss. So no, yes, that's it. That's yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah, they're excellent. These are excellent attorneys, and they have great reputations. They're really top-notch attorneys. How do you think he got them? And then we'll bring Ben in. How do you think? <laughs> because he's he's Trump has done a terrible job of picking counsel. How do you think he got Necklace and Futterfoss to join the defense team and actually handle this case, who are really competent criminal defense lawyers, but ones that even them couldn't save him from a 17 yeah. count felony conviction? Well, how do you think? Why? How do you think he got them? <laughs> well, since I'm I'm new to being a criminal defense attorney, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that question. Um, uh, of why people take certain cases. But now that we have Ben in the dark. Yeah, there he is. Ben, is it dark in, the dark in here? Is my lighting bad? Yes. Yeah, your lighting's, your lighting's bad. But Ben, <laughs> is this the first time the three We're... of us have done this together? Or have we done this before? No. We... No, remember when I was traveling, we, we did a three-way oh, right, show. right, right. Okay, that's right. On, on, a Supreme Court, on a Supreme Court decision. So I had, a, so, so, so let me tell you, so I had a meeting yeah. for the last two hours. I, I, the one time I'm in a meeting for two hours where my <laughs> phone is off, I turn back on my phone and I find <laughs> out that the Trump organization has been found guilty of all counts, including the scheme to defraud. And, and you know what's sad, Ben, because you sit at your computer making hot takes 
literally all day long. And the one moment of Trump org 17 count felony conviction, you're doing something else. What you you have a day job? You know, I, I still have a day job. I, I'm a practice attorney. Um, but look, this is huge news, right? And it comes on the heels as well of the announcement that the Manhattan District Attorney has brought on Matthew Colangelo from the Department of Justice. Colangelo was the number three top deputy at in the entire Department of Justice. He was the associate uh, attorney general there um, who has ample experience investigating Donald Trump for crimes uh, relating to the Trump charity uh, and Trump Foundation criminal conduct. Colangelo was the one who shut down the Trump Foundation and the uh, Trump charity. And he was brought in right now by uh, the Manhattan uh, District Attorney's Office here by Alvin Bragg. And uh, I think it was really, really, really a big sign that Alvin Bragg, who a lot of people thought was not moving in a direction to criminally indict Donald Trump directly after he let the grand jury lapse, people may be looking at Alvin Bragg a little differently now, huh? I mean, if you think about the Alvin Bragg strategy, you know, one can put it out like this, whether he intended it or not, which is, look, let's try the case against the Trump organization first. Um, we got Alan Weisselberg to, uh, to, to testify. Um, we have Alan Weisselberg to plead guilty. He pled guilty to the 11 or so felony accounts before testifying here. Like strategically, what if Alvin Bragg was saying, and Karen, do you think this is what he may have been thinking? Like, let's test the waters with this criminal trial. The very fact of a former president being criminally prosecuted has never happened before in our nation's history. And the fact that we have a former president who's a criminal maniac is something that, you know, we, we've had some really bad ones in the past, but nothing even com coming close to this. So you try the Trump organization first as kind of a test trial, if you will. Um, and then you bring it to, okay, we have this conviction. And then right when the jury was deliberating, Alvin Bragg must have felt good about it because then Alvin Bragg announces he's bringing Matthew Colangelo, who's got this long history of investigating Trump, to now focus on the Donald Trump direct crimes and more crimes involving the Trump organization for the fraudulent valuation scheme where in their statement of financial conditions, Donald Trump and his adult children and the Trump organization would uh, put, for, put forth these false valuations that were drastically different from the appraised values to get benefits on loans and taxes and uh, from insuring agencies as well. So Karen, do you think that's the approach or did it just kind of work out that way? And now Alvin Bragg could be like, see, I told you this is what I was doing. I think that uh, I think it could be, but I think more likely it's that the case, this was a case that started under Cy Vance and it was a case that uh, brought was brought against Alan Weisselberg and the Trump organization and the Trump payroll corporation. And it just ripened to the point where it became time to go to trial. Uh, I think that, um, I think that now, though, the summation here that was given by senior trial counsel Josh Steinglass, who's one of the great lawyers, the great trial lawyers at the Manhattan DA's office, I think um, his summation was very much about that Trump knew Trump was responsible and it's that this absolutely was something that was sanctioned by Donald Trump. That comes from evidence that was developed under oath at the trial now that they have 
uh, all the paperwork that they needed that was presented at the trial and the witness testimony. And so we'll see if now that their theory is clearly that this was all about Trump and that Trump knew and Trump sanctioned this and benefited from it, we'll see if they bring that case or if instead they bring one of the other cases that they have pending. I think, you know, you just mentioned that they brought on um, Matt Colangelo to um, to work on uh, what's been reported as the Stormy Daniels hush money investigation. That was a case, again, that's been at the Manhattan DA's office under Cy Vance and then with Alvin Bragg, but they didn't have enough to bring the case uh, at the time. Um, prosecutors, especially the prosecutors at the Manhattan DA's office, you know, they don't, they don't, they think about, they, they follow the evidence where it leads without fear or favor. And so if they had the evidence to go against Donald Trump, they would have brought the case. It sounds like that that case, the Stormy Daniels case, is um, is something is developing. It sounds like there's something there that has broken. I have no idea what it is, but I don't think someone like Matt Colangelo would come to work for uh, the Manhattan DA's office under Alvin Bragg. I mean, this, as you said, he was um, a very high up person. I think the number three at the Department of Justice. He is also, you know, he worked under Obama. He worked for Tish James. I mean, this is a, a real serious lawyer. I'm not sure he would come to the Manhattan DA's office if there wasn't something real here to investigate. You know, I, I was disappointed when Alvin Bragg didn't uh, go follow through with the case that was in the grand jury um, a, that was being prosecuted, um, that started under Cy Vance, but was handed to Alvin Bragg initially. And uh, two senior um, prosecutors, Kerry Dunn and Mark Pomerantz, you know, they, they resigned very publicly. I was very disappointed that that case um, seemed to have died on the vine, but hopefully we'll see. Maybe that case is also um, continuing to be uh, to be revived. Um, I know that that Alvin Bragg has said over and over again that that case is not dead. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit. It's it's hard to to um, take on the Manhattan DA's office, which has a long history. And, you know, he was brand new. And and I said earlier, I, I, I think at first it took him a little while to get his sea legs, just like it took us when Cy Vance first took office in 2010. It took us a little while to get our sea legs. But it, it I would say today, uh, Alvin Bragg got his sea legs. Today, he got a sweeping conviction um, of every count, all 17, against the Trump organization. It's the first ever criminal conviction against any of the former president's companies. So this is huge. And I think this is a, a, a really good beginning. And I think the evidence is starting to be developed and hopefully we'll see something come of it soon. It's quite remarkable when you really just take a step back and say exactly what you just said. A former president of the United States' company that bears his name was just found guilty guilty of all 17 counts of felonies, of, of felonies, of felony criminal conduct. And if you're doing the math, it was about 30 minutes per count to deliberate. And so a relatively swift verdict, although um, we were wondering when it was going to come in and, and a very thoughtful verdict, too, because it was obvious from the notes that were coming in from the jury 
they were basically taking each one in seriatim one by one and asking questions about the elements on each of the counts and then they would go back with another count if they had any questions and so a very thoughtful jury but a felon a the organization is a felon the charities have been shut down for engaging in unlawful conduct as well there is in a civil lawsuit brought by the new york attorney general the judge overseeing that case judge arthur engeron has found and made a finding um, that Donald Trump was engaged in ongoing criminal fraudulent conduct, which was the basis for why an independent monitor, retired judge, Barbara Jones, um, has been appointed with the Trump organization, having to turn over essentially all of its financial records and corporate structure uh, to retired judge Barbara Jones and any material transactions they need to run by retired judge Barbara Jones. And so it brings us to this question that we got asked by uh, someone by the name of Jeff who goes, are we expecting indictments this month? It seems the wheels of justice are turning fast or are we waiting for early 2023? So my view of it and it's based on objective data, is I think we're waiting for 2023. And I don't want to say specifically early 23, although I'd want your definition, Jeff, of what constitutes early 23. What I'm looking for is that April to June period. And, and uh, I want to hear from you, Karen, about what you think, but I'm thinking April to June. But the basis of it, too, is today there was news that the special counsel, Jack Smith, has issued a new set of subpoenas um, to some of the county boards of supervisors in uh, Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Arizona. And they previously uh, sent some requests out till, uh, to Milwaukee as well, certain areas where Trump was involved in uh among other areas, uh, election interference, which shows that Jack Smith is also focused on the fake elector scheme and the unlawful pressuring of these um, boards of supervisors, um, where he tried to, you know, harass and threaten them to not count the votes like he tried to do in Maricopa County, and frankly, that they're still trying to do today. So those subpoenas just went out. We know as well that at the end of last week. We got the testimony, the full testimony of Pat Cipollone and Patrick Philbin, who are Trump's former top White House lawyers. Recall those individuals testified in September before the grand jury in Washington, D.C., but Donald Trump frivolously asserted executive privilege, but nonetheless because he's a former president, unlike any other citizen, he can at least assert it, even if it's frivolous, and it had to be litigated. And the federal judge, Judge Beryl Howell, um, she did not agree with Donald Trump's privilege assessment uh, of executive privilege, and Cipollone and Philbin were required to testify. Um, and prior to that, former Vice President Pence's former top deputies, Mark Short, his former chief of staff, and Greg Jacob, the former general counsel. Same thing, remember, they showed up in July 
before the grand jury in Washington, D.C., investigating Trump's crimes. Trump asserted executive privilege. The Department of Justice filed a motion to compel. Judge Beryl Howell found the executive privilege claim to be without merit because there was a compelling need for the Department of Justice. And also, it's unlikely even a former president is permitted to assert an executive privilege in the first place. But nonetheless, there are still some judges out there who Trump appointed who have in dicta, even someone like Brett Kavanaugh um, in the Benny Thompson case, for example, talked about a former president may have the ability to assert executive privilege, but it can be overcome by a compelling need. And so for all of the people, I think this is a great point too, Karen, for all of the people out there though, who are like, we need to rush these prosecutions. I want to see Trump indicted a year ago or more. When you see cases like this, when you see the way juries think, Karen, you and I know this because we go in front of juries and we know how juries interact and we see it. But if you as a prosecutor go up without the goods, if you show up because you feel pressured by political opinion and you're not actually dotting your I's and crossing your T's, like prosecutorial malpractice. And the example I give is, imagine Merrick Garland or now Jack Smith, before having compelled the testimony of people like Cipollone and Philbin and Mark Short and Greg Jacob and others, and they fought not to testify and Trump fought. So that took a long time to, to get their testimony, but assume they just rushed into it because the tsunami of social media pressure was so much that the Department of Justice did what like John Durham did, like the Trump prosecutor lackey who went out and filed these cases and lost every one of them. And then imagine a situation where you have a prosecutor that Merrick Garland has, or a Jack Smith, whoever it is, goes and starts asking questions to Cipollone. Let's just use Cipollone as an example. And Jack Smith goes, so Cipollone, what did Donald Trump tell you on January 6th? And Cipollone goes, I can't answer that executive privilege. And then you as a prosecutor go, well, I'm asking, I'm demanding that you answer. And then the judge is going to ask the prosecutor, well, did you take the appropriate steps pre-filing to make sure that executive privilege was overcome or did you just rush this case? And what's the prosecutor going to do? They're in front of the juries. The prosecutor going to say, look, I was rushed because people were telling me they wanted Trump to be indicted. We, just, we had to do this for the sake of the country. Um, so you see there an example that now that they've got the testimony of Cipollone, by the way, the January 6th committee didn't get the testimony of Cipollone. Now that they got the testimony of Philbin, now that they got the testi testimony of Mark Short and Greg Jacob, Stephen Miller testified. And Stephen Miller, remember, um, took out any references in the speech on the ellipse of January 6th that referenced Pence and Trump put those back in and so on and so forth. So the importance of diligence in building a case against somebody who is a former president. And it pains me to say that this was a former president, but they have different set of arguments. They are not above the law, but they have more arguments in the law if they want to maliciously abuse and torment our constitution. And that's what Donald Trump has done at every step, but the DOJ has countered it at every step 
to get us to this place where the wheels of justice are turning. I know that was a very long-winded answer to Jeff's question, but Karen, when would you expect to be on high alert for indictments as the wheels of justice turn? So don't forget that a criminal case has a different standard of proof, a much higher burden of proof than a civil case, and it's beyond a reasonable doubt. So any serious prosecutor, whether it's uh, the Department of Justice and, and most, if not all, the lawyers there, uh, especially under Jack Smith or the Manhattan DA's office, which, of course, I, I know I'm, I'm biased, but I think is an exceptional office, always has been and continues to be, nobody's going to feel or be pressured politically to bring a case when they're not ready. And they're not going to bring a case against somebody because there's, there's any political pressure or outside pressure uh, to do so. And, and it's hard. That's one of the hard parts of, of being a prosecutor is you have to really turn off the noise in the background and put your head down and investigate your case. And you bring a case, if that's where the facts lead, without fear or favor. And the Manhattan DA's office has multiple cases that are going, you know, as, as we all know, um, under Cy Vance, there was this uh, case to try to get Donald Trump's tax returns. And that case went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court, and they ultimately did get the tax returns. And so those are still at the Manhattan DA's office. And then we, there was widely reported that there's the Stormy Daniels hush money case, that that also is being investigated by, uh, by the Manhattan DA's office. It'll be interesting to see if now, given the convictions here and the, the evidence that was developed, uh, in this case, whether they'll bring a case against um, against Donald Trump in in the, uh, with this underlying Trump organization case, and there's also there's also the case um, of where Carrie Dunn and um, Mark Pomerantz uh, resigned because that case seemed dead in the water. So there's many cases that are being investigated at the Manhattan DA's office. And if they develop enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt any of those cases, I could see an indictment fairly quickly. In state court uh, grand jury, at least in New York, there is no hearsay allowed in the grand jury. You have to have live, direct witnesses, unlike federal grand juries where hearsay is allowed. You know, in the federal grand jury, you can put an FBI agent on, for example, who could say, I spoke to this person and they said this, and I spoke to that person and they said that. So, so you have to get live witnesses and live testimony. And um, so it'll be interesting to see if um, any of these cases ripen to the point where there will be an indictment in uh, at the Manhattan DA's office, or I think Fonnie Willis's case in Georgia is also heating up. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if she if she waits to see if she waits to issue a report before she brings an indictment. But I think we could we could see an indictment there. I think that's ripening, if you will, or um, any of these Department of Justice cases that Jack Smith, you know, is working on. I think I think the Mar-a-Lago tax, um, the Mar-a-Lago documents case is is fairly straightforward and not as complicated as the January 6th election interference case. I think that case might take a little bit longer. And, and that case, I think we have to be patient because for all the reasons you said, you have to make sure that you um, you run down every lead, you talk to every witness, you put everyone under oath and you see what's there and what's not there. But the Mar-a-Lago Mar documents case, I do think is a little bit more straightforward. Um, but once you once you bring one case, I think I think there are people who are nervous. I think the prosecutors, rightly so, are all nervous about who's going to go first. And so I think once once one goes, I think we're going to see several. 
Uh, that's my prediction. My prediction is whoever goes first, uh, sort of around the same time, you're going to see um, potentially Georgia, New York, and um, and the Department of Justice. And I think these state prosecutions that many people will say, well, just leave it up to the Department of Justice and let them do it. But what worries me about that is if we have a Republican president or if God forbid Donald Trump is uh, the next president, they can he can pardon himself or a Republican can pardon him. You know, presidents can pardon federal convictions, but they can't pardon a state court conviction. So that's only that can only be done by a state governor. And and I think we need to have I think that's why I don't think it's it's duplicitous or in any way um, just, you know, leave it up to the feds because he's a former president. He committed crimes. Absolutely. He's he's been working. He has he's been working in New York for for decades. He has property here. And the jury found today that he engaged. He engaged in a 13 year scheme to defraud the people of the state of New York. And I think it's very important that he be held accountable for what he has done to New York, to the taxpayers of New York. And so I think Alvin Bragg got this sweeping, incredible conviction today. I'm proud that uh, the Manhattan DA's office continues to be the Manhattan DA's office and that he is living up to the high standards of the Manhattan DA's office. And I look forward to seeing what he does next in addition to the other indictments. And to answer your question, I think it's a 2023, uh, I think I think it will be early 2023. Early 2023 from Karen Friedman Agnifilo. You heard that prediction here, folks. And for those who are just tuning in to the Midas Touch Network for the first time, or for those who don't know the incredible Karen Friedman Agnifilo, Karen Friedman Agnifilo worked essentially three decades in the Manhattan DA's office. The comments that I always get, Karen, is no one believes that's true when I, when I tell them that, and I always get the private messages. But Karen worked three decades there. Um, because people don't believe you could have possibly have worked three decades <laughs> there in general when they see you. Um, but you were the number two deputy in the entire office of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And so we are so humbled and so lucky to have Karen Friedman Agnifilo here um, to share her insights about the office that she led. She was Cy Vance's number two at the office. So when the news broke about Jack Smith, for example, we were so lucky and fortunate to have Karen Friedman Agnifilo who worked with Jack Smith. So instead of just like some of these other media networks out there, just speaking because, all right, I'm, I'm on this side of the issue. Let me just rage talk or just let you know my feelings that are not based on any objective data. It's vital to us here that we bring on people like Karen Friedman Agnifilo, so lucky to have her as a member of the network to share her firsthand insights into these issues. And here to have someone who led the Manhattan District Attorney's Office share her wealth of knowledge with you. We are so incredibly lucky. And Karen, what I feel happened today with these guilty convictions on these 17 felony counts, though, it feels to me like the floodgates have finally opened, where Agreed. a lot of prosecutors who believe this Teflon Don BS, or perhaps not even prosecutors, just that prevailing narrative out here that nothing, no matter what, he's never going to be held accountable, that this was a step in the direction to kind of pierce that Teflon Don kind of uh, facade 
which is really what it was. It was a facade. It's the bluster. It's the maniacal bravado that has intimidated Republicans into becoming MAGA Republican cult members versus actually doing dignity to what the party may have once represent may have once represented and it's why people who were formerly with the republican party are leaving it and saying what the heck is this weird cult like it's why there is this pro-normal pro-democracy coalition that's forming out there that is not taking this trump bs and the gaslighting and all this stuff that he does on social media doesn't matter because what matters is what's going on in the courtroom and what happened in the courtroom is guilty on 17 felony counts for the Trump organization. To address some of the questions here, uh, Rudy 2RK writes, 17 felony convictions and a $1.6 million fine. I thought that was supposed to be a $250 million fine, or was that another case based in New York? Yes, that was another case based in New York. That's the case involving New York Attorney General Letitia James, who brought a civil lawsuit for fraud against Donald Trump personally, Donald Trump's adult children personally, and the Trump organization and the Trump revocable trust, among other Trump entities, seeking at least $250 million for fraudulent valuations of their properties. And that is set to go to trial in a civil case. Civil case is all about money at the end of the day and injunctions. Damages are awarded as opposed to guilt. And then an injunction could issue in that case, which could stop the Trump organization from ever doing business again in the state of New York. Now that case is set for trial early October of 2023. And it was set that date by Judge Arthur Engeron, the court overseeing it. And one of the things when I was, you know, talking about how that trial date was set for October 3rd, or I think it's October 3rd of 2023, a lot of the comments, though, were like, wow, more delay. What's the judge doing? And what kind of hit me at that moment, Karen, is that the important service of the Midas Touch Network, though, because it didn't even occur to me, though, practicing law in California, having cases in New York where I work with New York lawyers. We have a, a law office in the firm that we work for that is based in, that has a law office in New York. The idea that a case that is filed in September of 2022 will have a trial date in New York in October of 2023 is like the fastest trial date I've ever heard of in the state of New York, period. And so, and that's just based on experience there. Any other litigant, um, and the reason why it's set so soon there, though, is because there was this special proceeding that had taken place where Trump took the Fifth Amendment over 400 times when he was asked the most basic questions about his properties, right after all the bravado and bluster Trump shows up to the deposition, Letitia James, the New York attorney general's there, and she asked Donald Trump the most basic questions. So what is the value of your property, Trump Tower? What is the appraised value? What was your valuation of it? All right, let's do it for Bedminster. Let's do it for Mar-a-Lago. What was the appraised value? What is the valuation? So you would think with all the bravado and Trump whatever, and he calls her all the names, I plead the fifth. 
I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth on the most basic questions. Now, in a civil case, unlike a criminal case, when you take the Fifth Amendment, that is an adverse inference against you, meaning that the jury can look at the issues and the jury can basically say, or the judge can say, well, the person pleading the Fifth Amendment must be trying to hide something. We're going to view that their answer would be against their interest if they didn't invoke the fifth. And even there, Judge Arthur Engeron, in the motion for preliminary injunction to appoint the independent monitor, which was heard a month or two ago, said Trump hasn't offered a single iota of evidence. Okay, not only did Trump plead the fifth, but Donald Trump didn't even provide an evidence from evidence from like an expert or or evidence from someone who works for the organization saying, here's why the valuation is so significantly greater than what the appraised values are. And here's why we submitted these on our statements of financial condition. They didn't even do that. They made some weird argument that the New York attorney general lacked jurisdiction, which there literally is a statute for the New York attorney general to pursue this exact type of civil investigation. But going back to my point, the fact that there is a trial date in a civil case October, it's going to fly by before it's October. And that case is likely to, um, it's likely, I would assume, that Trump is going to, be, the Trump organization is going to be held liable there. And they're going to face hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in damages in that case, because it's at least $250 million in damages. And one of the next questions is, can this criminal case be used in the civil case? Um, and the answer is most likely yes, um, because now that the Trump organization is has been determined to engage in fraud, has determined to engage in this type of criminal conduct, usually past conduct of fraud can be used um, to demonstrate future conduct. Now, it's possible that the Trump organization will file what's called a motion in limine and saying that it's too prejudicial to come in. But a guilty verdict for criminal fraud is something that would be highly relevant, highly probative, and far outweigh any prejudice. And so I think that comes into the civil trial, that this is an organization that has been adjudicated to be a felon organization. And so while the penalty of $1.6 million may seem not that much, the fact that this organization is a felon will impact all of their ability to get loans from anyone in the United States or any credible lender abroad, which will probably become non-existent. And it can be used against them and will be used against them in future proceedings as well. Um, do you agree with that, Karen? I do agree with that, especially because this was a 13-year fraud that the Trump organization was convicted of today. This wasn't just a one-time, oh, I filed one piece of paper once. This was a scheme to defraud over a 13-year period that they have been convicted of. So I do think that's going to be a, um, very much used in the attorney general's civil case, where they do have a different standard, a much easier standard. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's preponderance of the evidence. But one thing I want to um, I want to point out is that the uh, DA, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, uh, issued a press release today on the um, 
announcing the all count conviction of the Trump Corporation and the Trump Payroll Corporation. And and the way these press releases always are, they, they are always the same. They talk about kind of what happened and and what the charges are, et cetera, et cetera, what the sentencing date is. But at the end, they think people, they always think whoever was involved in the case. And, you know, they say that uh, the case was handled by um, uh, the chief of the investigation division, Susan Hoffinger, who's an excellent attorney and ADA at the Manhattan DA's office and senior trial counsel, Josh Steinglass, who's, you know, also a, a superstar at the Manhattan DA's office. But more interestingly, and what I found uh, what I found interesting was that he also said the case was being handled at trial by special ADA Gary Fishman, who was cross designated for this case from the uh, New York Attorney General's office. So this case was being prosecuted by both Alvin Bragg and Tish James. This was a co-prosecution. They are working hand and glove. So they're very much uh, working together on this case and the other cases. And there is no, um, there's no, there's no separation there. So I think that the civil case that's developing evidence into the Trump organization that you just talked about also, she, Tish James is, has made criminal referrals with respect to that case, though there, there could also be a criminal case that will be brought in that matter as well. And when you, when you read that complaint that she brought, that sweeping complaint, and you hear about all of the fraud that, uh, that the organization engaged in in that case, and then you have the case that happened that we got the conviction today, and, and they had testimony under oath and documents that they were able to obtain and put into evidence and records. I think there's a, still a possibility that uh, that that we might see um, more. We might see an indictment uh, of Trump at the Manhattan DA's office with respect to that matter as well. But we'll see. And so, Karen, as we uh, head out here, want to give you the final word. How would you sum up what took place today? I would say that this is a huge victory for the Manhattan DA's office and for democracy, that the Trump organization has, uh, for the first time ever, been convicted of 17 felonies. That's a very big deal. This is the organization uh, that bears Trump's name, his family name, and it's by far his most important business. And what a jury today found was that the um, that Trump himself, because this was the theory of the prosecution, that Trump himself knew about and sanctioned this uh, 13-year scheme to defraud and tax evasion of um, the people of the state of New York, federal government and the local government. And so this is just a huge victory. I applaud the Manhattan DA's office and I think there's going to be more to come, but this is, this is an excellent, excellent verdict. Karen Friedman Agnifilo, thank you so much for joining us. Want to tell everybody out there who appreciated this coverage uh, of the guilty verdict right here on the Midas Touch Network of the Trump Organization. Check us out at our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. 
P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. Consider becoming a patron of the Midas Touch Network and the Midas Touch community. You know, we are not funded by any outside investors at all here on the Midas Touch Network. We are 100% independent. We are 100% accountable to you. Just think about that concept while all of the other large media networks are beholden to special interests. Because our media network is 100% crowdfunding, we're able to stay 100% independent and to give you the coverage that you saw here today. If you go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, you'll see a lot of exclusive content that you could only get at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. There's even one membership tier where you could become a producer of the Midas Touch podcast and your name will appear at the end of the podcast that I do with my brothers and you'll get a poster commemorating that you are an honorary producer of the show. We have exclusive merch drops at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. We have exclusive podcasts there, behind the scenes footage, behind the scenes, news and insights into what we do here at the Midas Touch Network. Um, so please go check it out, patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Want to tell everybody as well to check out our legal podcast. It's called Legal AF. Oh, check out store.midastouch.com as well for the best unapologetic pro-democracy gear out there. That's store.midastouch.com. And we've got Convict or Convict 45 shirts. And so I tell everybody to go check out that and get your Convict or Convict 45 shirts right now, store.midastouch.com. Check out our legal podcast. It's called Legal AF, where you'll see Karen Friedman Agnifilo, or you'll hear Karen Friedman Agnifilo, Michael Popak, and myself. We have a midweek show as well as a weekend show that I do with Michael Popak. It's called Legal AF. Wherever you get your podcast, go download Legal AF so you can see the wrap-up of the most consequential legal news of our time. Hit the subscribe button right here. We're on our way to 1 million subscribers here at the Midas Touch Network. Thanks to your support. It's free to subscribe. So just hit that subscribe button so you can get the best political pro-democracy coverage out there. And I guess I should plug our top true crime podcast. It's called American PSYOP, P-S-Y-O-P, American PSYOP. And it tells the story of General Wes Clark's son, Wes Clark Jr., who gets trapped in a web of intrigue from cults and brainwashing operations and all of these third-party bizarre experiences. And the crazy thing is, is trying to separate fact from fiction, but He's been at all of these locations, and so it is just one of the most incredible things to see the power of brainwashing, and uh, uh, again, it's climbing the charts. It's called American PSYOP, wherever you find your podcasts. And finally, I want to give a thank you to all of the Midas Mighty out there. None of this is possible without you, without your support. We are reinventing the way that media is done. And when I say we, we as a Midas Mighty community, and you are all included in that. The large media networks who both sides the issue, who seem to have forgotten about the importance of 
of our democracy. They have failed at their task. And so here we have come together, not just as some uh, media network, but as this community that is people powered, that is democracy powered. And you all are the jet fuel that makes this work. So please make sure to continue sharing these videos. Let's expand and increase the community of supporters because together let's reinvent and reimagine the way media is done so that we can all fight for our democracy together. Thank you all so much and a special shout out to the Midas Mighty.